Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, our guest is Susan Frank, president and CEO of MRA, the Management Association. Susan, welcome to the program today. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So MRA, I barely know how to spell MRA. What is your organization all about and what do you do over there? MRA is one of the largest employer associations in the country. So we're a little bit like the Packers in Green Bay. We are bigger than our market would indicate and that's because we've been successful for 120 years. We provide human resource information, learning and development, and consulting to about 4,000 companies each year in the Midwest. So you said you've been successful for that length of time. I mean, 120 years, to be successful that long means you're doing something well. What would you say is MRA's recipe for success? Well, I wasn't the president for 120 years. (laughs) You weren't? I have been here a long time. But I think at our core is that we keep our member value, our member service at the center of everything we do. So as an association, what our members need, what they want, what helps support their success is really what our work is all about. So it's not our own agenda, it's our members agenda and we help them be the most successful business they can be. In fact, our mission is to help business thrive. So building successful teams, building a safe workplace, being able to attract and retain talent, helping them maximize performance of their company and minimize risk to their company. So as an employer of choice, they can get the talent they need, they can develop it, they can keep it, they can compete successfully with anybody who comes their way. So that really is what makes us tick here at MRA, keeping our member focus. And it's a mission that's very exciting, and we really take that to heart. So I think that's at the core of our success. Yeah, and I appreciate you clarifying that you have not been running the show for 120 years. That's that's (laughs) (laughs) well, and you're actually you're kind of terribly not far off. Not 120 years, but according to your LinkedIn profile, my friend, it shows that you've been the president and CEO for 36 years. First of all, congratulations. That is a heck of a tenure and the organization is thriving under your leadership. My question is, how have you been able to maintain excellence for 36 years? I mean, there's a lot of attrition at the top. There's a lot of pressure at the top. Sometimes, you know, decisions work, decisions don't, and there's a leadership change. You've obviously had a track record of success at the top of this organization for 36 years, which is not overly common. What is your secret? Well, let me clarify that while I've been at MRA for 36 years, I've been the president for 20. So moving my way up in the organization and taking on a lot of different challenges here, if, if you would, I would like to tell you a little bit about my background and that might lead us to today. I graduated from Arizona State University with a bachelor's degree in business. I knew I wanted to go into business, but kind of planned on going to law school, needed to make some money got a job, and that job happened to be in human resources with a large manufacturer here in Wisconsin whose headquarters was in Illinois. 
hadn't considered human resources as a career before and just fell into it. It played to all of my strengths. I grabbed on with both hands. I thought, this is so amazing. And I was hired as the supervisor of factory employment. So my office was in the plant, 2,200 employees, 74 general foremen. They were all men at the time and really just learned on the job as fast as I possibly could. And human resources then was labor relations and arbitration cases and preparing for discrimination charges and unemployment insurance hearings and hiring into factory positions, which I just loved. I spent a lot of time on the shop floor. And to this day, manufacturing is still one of my true business loves. I just love seeing how things are made and the decisions that go into raw materials, into the plant, added value, and how they go out and satisfy a customer. So loved what I was doing. And now looking back on it many years later, glad that I didn't go to law school. I think law is an amazing profession, but human resources was just the right fit at the right time for me. And so my career with that large organization was supervisor factory employment, manager of labor relations, where I just worked with five different bargaining units and prepared for bargaining and represented the company at bargaining, handled administration, labor agreements and things, and then manager of employee relations. So took on professional employment, affirmative action, safety, security training, all of that. So just spent four really fast, really growth-oriented years there, but decided I wanted to kind of come to the big city of Milwaukee and do something a little different. Even my undergrad degree, all of my siblings graduated from Marquette University here, here in Milwaukee, and I just wanted to do something different and experience something different. So I guess that's at the core of MRA's success too, in that we had leaders and as one of them, I just wanted to innovate, wanted to stay fresh with a 120 year old organization with the same leader at the top for many years. I'm acutely aware and try to be really on guard that I don't get stale, that I don't get narrow-minded, that I don't see this is the way we've always done it. And so I look for people, cohorts, and others in the business community, the CEOs and CFOs are in all of our special interest groups, to keep teaching me, to keep making sure that I have a very broad telescope in the business world instead of a microscope on what I'm used to doing. So that is one of the factors of our success. When I joined MRA, though, I wasn't the president. I was on our hotline and stepping into the classroom for human resource training and also writing a lot of our content for our newsletters and so on, and just really grabbed onto the mission. I can't emphasize that enough with my team here even today, that you will, if we've hired smartly, you will love what we do because our members are appreciative. They're trying to be the best that they can be. And MRA in some small way helps them do that. And I consider it really a privilege to do what I do. And I hope as I'm creating an ethos here, a culture here over many years, that sense of privilege in serving our members really comes across to our team and that they feel it too. We've been invited in, so to speak, to a member's organization, and we take that responsibility really seriously. 
Would you say, based on your experience, that most organizations do HR well? And if the answer is no, what is one of the biggest areas of improvement that you see based on your interaction with these companies? Yeah, I think many companies do do it well. So well is the operative word there, right? I think human resource folks, a colleague of mine from a different state said this to me recently. He talked about the human resource people, professionals in in companies, especially during this time of COVID where, right, our whole world turned upside down and things are not like they were just 90 days ago and people are worried and layoffs and PVP loans and what does that mean and families first and being a teacher and a mom or a dad and a working parent, just those kind of stresses on people, on everybody, they come to work and the HR team is almost like an EMT. HR team has had to embrace problems that we couldn't even imagine a few short months ago and they're the triage. That's the place where people go and pour out their heart and their fears and their complaints and their concerns. And human resource people have to be these wonderful problem solvers. And you have to be compassionate to be good at this job, but you also need to be very business-minded to be able to say, I hear you and I understand you and I'm going to fix it, or here's why I can't fix it. And at the same time, you've got to stay a little bit at arm's length and objective because the end of the day is we're all working for an organization and the organization as a whole needs to stay healthy. So I think that balance is really difficult to do. And I think especially now in a time of crisis where people are wounded and they're worried and they're stressed about finances and their kids and is school going to be open and what about my own health and all of that? I mean, it really, those chickens come home to roost on HR's doorstep. And so to serve the CEO well, to serve their colleagues well, to serve their organization well, I mean, they've got to be men and women of steel. (laughs) They've got to be so good at what they do. And I know that MRA supports them because I hear it from our members all of the time, how we're a lifeline and they couldn't have gotten through it without us and all of that. But the fact of the matter is there's pretty amazing people that are in the human resource profession. And whether they're on that learning curve to reach the place that I described or they're already, I do think HR as a profession has become much more crucial, much more critical much more in focus for CEOs and other leaders because everyone would agree you can't get anywhere without people. And if your people are taken care of and if they understand where the company is going, where the world is going, where your strategic plan is going, they can really shoulder a big load to help you get there. What is one thing you wish more individuals knew about the HR profession that they don't? With permission, I'll tweak that question a little bit and just say, when I'm talking with human resource people or with classes of interns that come through MRA and things like that, I really stress that you can't just be a people person. That's kind of a given. You must also be a numbers person. And I don't know if it's my DNA or I'm one of those weird people that has a right brain and a left brain going at the same time. 
but I love numbers. I consider myself a people person, but numbers tell the story of the business. And if you don't understand the numbers of the business, if you can't read a balance sheet, let's say, if you, on a more fundamental level even, if you don't know how the raw material comes in and how it's made into widgets and how it's packed and shipped and sent off to your customers, and oh, by the way, what your customers think of your products and services, I don't know if you don't know that number story, I don't know how you can serve the organization to the best of your ability. You have to understand the business. And whether you say it as simply as take an accountant to lunch, which I recommend to HR people all the time, or whether you say more thoughtfully, go out and get your MBA at night or take a class that's finance for non-financial managers, make sure that you understand the numbers behind your business, then you can really serve that business very well. I think this will be the understatement of the year, but the COVID pandemic caused an awful lot of disruption for individuals, both personally and professionally. And as C-suite executives and CEOs, obviously COVID has strained individuals in that profession quite a bit as well. Your organization is obviously there to provide guidance and resources to these individuals during these times of trouble. Could you just give us a better understanding when we talk about how this strained CEOs? What specifically that looked like from a metrics perspective, from a story perspective, and how has MRA specifically risen to the occasion to bring value to these individuals? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I'm glad you asked that question because people are so tired of talking about COVID, and yet I've seen CEOs, as you said, using your words, rise to the challenge so beautifully and so strongly Maybe necessity is the mother of invention. Okay, there was no other way to go but through. I get that, and I feel that every day. There is no folding your arms and sitting on the sidelines and saying, I'm going to wake this one up. You'll get run over. You'll not survive. So CEOs have responded beautifully to that. But I also, through our roundtable groups, we have more than 70 special interest groups, and some of them are for CEOs and CFOs. And so I hear a little bit about their anguish and anxiety and strength of spirit as they kind of put their shoulder to the wheel to get through this. So they are innovating. They are over communicating. There is no such thing, by the way. And, you know, there it's an old Shakespeare quote, you know, assume a virtue if you have it not. (laughs) Even if you don't feel like being an extrovert, even if you feel like your stamina is depleted, even if you feel like I don't know the answer to this question. So I know if I walk through the office, three people are going to ask me this question again, and I don't know the answer yet. You still have to square your shoulders and buck up to that. And I think CEOs and really all employees to varying degrees are doing that. There is no way but through, and there is no lone ranger that's going to get through by him or herself. We need to link arms with our teams. We need to make sure that we're painting a vivid picture and that individual or that team's place in it so that they go willingly and enthusiastically, and if not enthusiastically in this time of COVID, then strongly and stoically, whatever the adjective is, that they say, okay, I hear you. I know where we need to go. I see how I can contribute in that future world and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to go there. And I think that's important. So call it storytelling or call it 
you know, using the metrics of your business or call it just being transparent and genuine and letting some vulnerabilities show through. CEOs have said, I don't know the answer to that question more times in the last 90 days, maybe they have in their whole lives. It's just not in a CEO's nature to say, I don't know. And yet it's the name of your podcast, Beyond the Known. I mean, Beyond the Known used to be like five years from now. Now it's five days from now or five minutes from now. It just, you can't know what's going to come at us and you still need to make well-informed, gather input from your team, but decisive, actionable decisions. You still need to make them in that time of ambiguity. How I know these things is because we do serve uh, more than 4,000 companies a year. And again, that's a very privileged vantage point that we hold. But the first few days of COVID, ironically, Paul, you wouldn't know this, but I was on a cruise that week, a cruise. (laughs) So the world just started changing so fast. And I was working more on that cruise than I normally would have been in the office because I'm watching the state shut down and this happened and this happened and this happened. And and I wanted to be here and not there. Plus, we weren't sure we were going to get off the ship, but we did. Thank goodness. On that week, in that week, in three days time, the member inquiries, the research inquiries to our human resource hotline moved from 100 a day to nearly 600 a day. And we're 24 seven. So business doesn't sleep. So we don't sleep. We feel that at our core to be of service to members. That means when you're working at 10 o'clock at night and you need some research done, or you need to walk through a sticky termination or a return to work question, our members can reach us. So our calls went up (laughs) from 100 to 600 over the course of a few days. And at the same time, the web page views and the downloads of our content related to COVID and family leave and families first leave and emerging PPP loan and all of that went up tenfold. So the power of our content that we were creating seriously from six in the morning until midnight, I know this because I was talking with my team and, you know, we were checking and double checking and reviewing and proofing and publishing as fast as we could based on what we heard on the hotline that day. Members might say, I need a form or a report that does this. Or if you guys could come up with an employee checklist that does this. And we would say, yes, that makes sense. Synthesize it in our plan and turn it around. So, you know, 20,000 member contacts we emailed out a day. That doesn't mean you got 20,000, though maybe it felt like it on some days. But 20,000 different executive, leader, human resource, managers, got our content to help them survive and get through the crisis. So I'm very proud of our team for that. Just my job was chief cheerleader and the person who had a confident vision of we will get through this together. And I started talking to my team daily in podcasts, kind of like this one, and also in videos, so that whether it was five minutes or 15 minutes a day, Every day for the first month, including Saturdays and Sundays, I talked with my team about, here's what happened today. Here's what it means to MRA. Here's what it means to our member value. And just, I thought I was saying the same things over and over, but I, to a question you've asked about what makes a difference, a leader communicating 
all of the salient information to their team and trusting them with it, even if it isn't always pretty or polished, I think that really makes a difference. And the best leaders out there do that. They share a lot and they're pretty transparent and they trust their team to then act accordingly and on the best interests of the company. Let's assume somebody listening to this podcast is a C-suite executive, business owner, or top authority figure in their organization. They're listening to you talk and they're saying, you know, by golly, I definitely want to make sure that we've got the greatest HR department around. I want to make sure that moving forward, we're getting the most out of our HR department. I don't want you to get away all of your secret sauce on the Beyond the Known podcast necessarily, but if we were to give that C-suite executive two or three actionable steps, two or three practitioner-based tips that he or she could start executing on right away, if they wanted to get the most out of their HR department, what two or three things could they start doing immediately to start going down that road? Yeah, I can give you two or three. First, what I hear bubbling up through our CEOs would be just, of course, the obvious. Remote work is changing all the rules. So forget the impact that it's going to have on commercial real estate or workstations or hoteling or all of that. Just in the workplace, a CEO should today, if they haven't already, start visioning out with their HR and leader team. If remote work is a thing and it's here to stay, you know, the rubber band is being stretched beyond capacity right now for companies and cost reductions and recovery So when it snaps back, it's going to be a little bit different shape. It's not going to be the same. So visioning with their team about the impact remote work has, how do you secure data? How do you make sure it's safe? What are the expectations of appearance, of dress, of timeliness, reliability, handling, reporting relationships and all that. So the discussion on remote work and all of that brings, have it today. Don't expect it to get back to exactly how it was before. Whether it's a little or a lot, every company is going to be impacted by that. The second thing I would say is on compensation, you know, we see lots of changes in people practices, modifications to wages, whether that's delaying merit increases, promotions for people who have really shown their mettle during the COVID crisis. Not everybody contracts and shrinks and becomes smaller in a crisis. That is human nature. But some people expand and step up and they become your surprise, amazing, wonderful right hand or lieutenant or, you know, just somebody who proved so valuable during this crisis. And so the compensation of people who have gotten you through, whether that's promotions or market adjustments and then future thoughts, end of year, hopefully we'll be talking in a more normal frame of mind regarding bonuses or incentives, just companies are being very creative. And although I would have said forever, HR often makes people feel like you have to treat everybody the same. And I'm kind of of the opposite. I'm a little opposite. Maybe it's my manufacturing background. I don't know. But I think people, the more custom we can be, the more personal we can be, that's what human beings crave, that Do you know me? Do you know what I can do? And let me show it to you. But if we can be custom, I think the compensation discussion is going to be accelerated this year, where instead of 
do you get the difference for low performers? They get a 2% increase, and a good performer gets a 3% increase, and a great performer gets a 4% increase. We generally think that's enough, but I think the crisis and this whole conversation around compensation is going to make people stretch that range out farther and you're going to pay for results more and you're going to pay the high potentials more and whoever is your B team or your C team, maybe they don't get a merit increase every year or maybe they aren't eligible for the incentive pool. Whatever that looks like in companies, I would recommend that that conversation be held now and the CEO and the CFO probably are the catalyst there but the HR person should be. Right now they're drinking from a fire hose. They can't think of one more thing. And I feel for them. I do because I know they're online at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock at night trying to work. But they should be the spark that says, hey, lead team, we need to talk about this. And in 2021, once we're through this crisis, what does that look like? What opportunity, what lessons did we learn for how we pay people? And pay is just one of the things total rewards, time off, corner office, whatever it means in your organization, time off. What does that look like? And not being afraid to treat people differently, as long as it's based on their value and performance and results on behalf of the organization. HR people don't really like to go there. It's harder to administer but I think some of the best, boldest companies out there do it. Maybe it's with game sharing. Maybe it's by department or line of business. But I think that creative compensation is conversation is going to take precedent in the next few months. Now, as human resource consultants, there's a number of services an organization like yours provides, including loaned HR expertise, reference and background investigations, compensation, safety, compliance, et cetera. It's a rather long, impressive list. One of the items on the list is recruiting. And as one of the individuals tasked with recruiting for the Star Group, I'm very interested in this topic. And I'm curious, you know, you do hear this said from time to time, ah, there's just no good talent out there. Well, I call BS on that pretty quick. There's a lot of good talent out there. It's just tough to recruit good talent, to steal away good talent. It can be done, and I think your organization has proven that you're rather adept at that. If somebody listening to this wants a best practice or two on how to put their organization in the best possible position to recruit top talent, how would you recommend they do that? Well, I would think it's all about candidate experience, first of all. And it's almost like a role play or a secret shopper sort of thing. Because if I'm the HR director in a company, I'm going to think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to think, well, we, we do it right and our application is online. Wow. And when they come in, their name is on the marquee in the lobby. Or It's hard to criticize your own processes, but we all should be. So to my point about the secret shopper or role play sort of thing, You have to be brutally honest with how a candidate experiences your brand. We'll say ABC company. How does a candidate experience ABC company from start to finish? How do you advertise? How do you market for a position? Is that marketing tool really doing the best it can for you? Is it exciting? Is it sizzling? Is it still real? Of course, work is still work. 
It's a four-letter word. That's why we get paid. But does it highlight what's unique and different about your company or about that particular position? And it isn't just advertising or marketing. It's also networking. Everybody knows a stellar performer. Everybody knows someone who would be a superstar at ABC Company, but maybe we aren't mining that. We aren't tilling the soil to make those leads grow. And that means data, and that means somebody who's really good at tracking and keeping warm those people or candidates over time that maybe last year didn't fit, but maybe this year would. It once took me two and a half years to hire somebody who was great at MRA, and she retired last year after 26 years. It took me more than two years to get her into the organization because I just never let it go. That We didn't have the right job, but you know, I'd keep in touch with her. I'd give her a call. I'd drop her a note. And lo and behold, two years later, we had the right job and the rest is history. She added more value to this company than many people. And because I stayed on it. So that's really important. I also think in addition to candidate experience, I also would agree with you that this is the perfect time to look for future talent. As much as it feels like we might be stuck in COVID land forever, we aren't going to be. And how, instead of, if you're ABC company, you look at a different company, Acme company, maybe they didn't communicate with their employees well. Maybe that superstar is thinking, you know, how I was treated, maybe not poorly, but maybe not great, how I was treated through this crisis makes me a little itchy, a little twitchy. I think I will take the call from the headhunter when they call. I think I will look around. I think I will talk to my friends and neighbors about maybe wanting to make a change. And a crisis can bring out the best in us, but it also sometimes brings out the worst in us. And so I think there are superstars out there, plenty of them, who are saying, I might not be ready right now, but I might be ready in 30 days or 90 days or end of the year. And so you start stirring that pot of networking. You polish up your candidate experience now so that it's ready when that rock star is ready to talk to you. I think there is some really good moves that you can make in this environment in the next 60 or 90 days. If someone is dissatisfied with the career that they're in right now, maybe they're just not passionate about it. It doesn't set their heart aflutter, as it were, and they're thinking about making a change. Why would you advocate for a potential career change into human resources? Why should somebody consider becoming a human resources professional? Well, I do think it's the heartbeat of a lot of organizations. And for people who want to help as well as have no two days the same, HR really fits that bill. To something that we talked about earlier, Paul, a weakness or a gap or something I think HR is still becoming is that financially savvy executive as well. And so if you are that, if somebody is thinking about changing and is comfortable with the numbers and making it happen with metrics and you know, a pro forma budget for the next three years, how this new HR project is going to pay off, that gets attention in the marketplace. And it could be just a rocket ship for somebody who brings that as well as all of the other wonderful attributes of an HR professional to the table. So 
if you have that logical brain coupled with the compassionate employee relations, take care of and heal you brain, that's a very, very powerful combination, almost in any occupation, right? I mean, I read an article last week, maybe it was on my mind because uh, my family was up north fishing for a couple of days. And, you know, when you're out in a boat on a lake, the motor throws off a two-sided wake behind you, equal on both sides. And the article that I read about it then popped into my head because it talked about that being a leader's role, you know, and the this two sides of the wake. One side is relationships that you always need to treasure, value, foster, appreciate, develop. And the other side is results. So you're looking every day at what did we get done today? What does this week look like? What do I need to keep my business afloat during this crisis? How are my yearly results looking like? What do I take off my strategic plan? What did I put on my strategic plan? So those two sides of the wake that any leader throws off as they're walking through a company or in a meeting speaking, the relationships and the results, that balance, if you've got innately that balance and you're aware of that balance, you recognize those things, you could be head and shoulders above the competition out there for wanting to make a change now. So I advocated, as I said, I had a different plan in mind for my life and found very early on that this provided enormous satisfaction, challenge, and the ability to excel, mostly because I had great bosses. So when we think of human resources generally, but during the COVID-19 disruption specifically, based on how you've described this, I'm thinking of a lot of activity during the day. I'm thinking of some very long days. You're exhausted by the end of the day, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. There's a lot of heavy lifting going on, some important decisions that have to be made. If I didn't know any better, that kind of sort of sounds like farm life, which is interesting because Susan, from what I can tell, you currently live on a farm. Would you mind uh, elaborating on that a little bit for us, please? Sure, I would be happy to because... Outside of what I do, which I truly am dedicated to, I'm so proud and try to honor every, we have about 220 employees and this is our headquarters here in the Milwaukee area. I try to make sure that I honor their decision to work for MRA every day. Now, nobody ever meets that standard. I don't even see people on a given day, but through my communications and emails and And I say what I just said to you. I want to make sure that every day you work here, you're happy about that choice. So let me first say that just like farm life, I mean, I love that. I do. I love nature. I love animals. I loved being a mom. My kids are now young adults, one in college and two just starting out on their professional careers. But something about an exhausting, long mental gymnastics kind of day is just served so well when I turn the curve to go up the lane to our farm. And it just, it's a different way of working. I do very little of that now. So I want to be honest with you. We don't have a dairy farm and a dairy farm is the hardest work there is. You are married to those cows. (laughs) There's no way you can skip 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. chores. There's just no way. So we're still doing our own chores, but that is to say when I say we, it's mostly my husband, and I help out on the weekends, but that time on the weekends just recharges me, it rejuvenates me. 
I love seeing my garden grow. You know, I'm going to put in a fish pond. I'm just, I have monarch chrysalis on top of my grand piano that someone at work gave me because she's a monarch fanatic. And just watching that chrysalis develop and the monarch should emerge today or tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. So nature in general just intrigues me. It makes me grateful to be on this planet every day. And even in a huge storm last night, while I was trying to do a virtual meeting with somebody from Philadelphia and somebody from Raleigh, and I had to laugh and tell them, you know, let me just flip my screen around here because this storm rolling through is like of biblical proportions. There was just, it was just going and it booted me off. I can even see the beauty in that, you know, it's just, I love it. So that's a long way to say I kind of geek out about farming and I had my farm before I met my husband. So it was just me. And when I bought this old dairy farm, my goal at the end of a long day was to clean out the barn, the dairy barn that had, you know, 50 years of cow manure in it that had just been there forever. My goal was to, I'm going to clean two feet forward and 60 feet across. That was my nighttime activity. But when you got done, it was done. It was just done and you saw the progress. So, so those two things balance each other. Business is artful and squishy and people are wonderful and messy but you know cleaning a stall then you're done and it's perfect so maybe that's my mental therapy well susan i gotta tell you you definitely have a zest for life just listen to me talking about removing cow dung you can hear it in your voice it's amazing i mean this zest and passion for living and all the things around you where does that passion come from would you say well I don't want to I don't want to harken back too far but I would say I guess my family of origin you know I'm one of five siblings and a Wisconsin native my dad was a dentist but he was also a farmer we have, we did have a farm and raised crops and beef cattle and he was a real estate developer in my lifetime at home he built three low income elderly housing projects because there wasn't enough Elder, affordable elderly housing at all in that part of the state. So I saw him as an entrepreneur and a builder, and I guess I come by that naturally. I don't want to just maintain something. I don't want to just ride something out. I want to be looking for the next challenge, the next thing, the next way to make the company grow, because I guess that's in my core DNA. So I remember one conversation on the dinner table that my dad said, and he, at 95, he just passed Christmas week, so missing him a lot. But at the dinner table one day, he got kind of excited about an idea, a business idea, and he turned around and poked me in the arm, and he said, you know, if somebody came to me and said they wanted to talk about raising whales in Lake Michigan, I might think that's a crazy thought, but I would listen to them because I would learn something from it. So the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, and I do find business intriguing, and my family and my friends have given me many things over the years that has a, a phrase on it, carpe diem. Everybody's familiar with that. It means seize the day. So in all things, I think do your best, make every day count, try to be the kind of person that people respect and maybe not always agree with. That's impossible as a CEO but respect and trust. So 
seizing the day means that for me. And that's what I've always tried to do. So Susan, there's a lot of good stuff going on at MRA, the management association, based on all the organizations you're working with, the services that you provide. This certainly looks like a truly game-changing organization. If somebody listening to this podcast wants to get more information on your services, wants to reach out and connect with you in the hope that you can bring value to their organization, how would you recommend they do that? Yeah, great. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate the invitation. Well, one of my hallmarks and something I love to do is to really stay close to our members, to make sure I'm always hearing their voice in what I do every day. So I would offer my own personal number so that people could call me directly. They've heard a little bit about me and what I'm like on this podcast, and that makes sure you get immediate attention. So that would be Susan Frank, and my direct dial is 262-696-3354. 262-696-3354. Or you could email me at susan.frank, F-R-O-N-K, at mranet.org, mranet.org. So that means you're getting me directly. I will call you back promptly and we'll get you connected with the right people here. Well, Susan, I can tell you, not only was this an entertaining conversation, it was a very informative conversation. And I have zero doubt that the listeners to this podcast feel the exact same way. It was wonderful to have you on the program. And I thank you for uh, making time out of your busy day for us here today. Thanks, Paul. It was great to be with you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.